right. Hey, good morning, everybody. I want to welcome you here today, and I want to welcome our uh, Stone Canyon and Verdigris campuses out there. And I just want to say this out to our Stone Canyon and Verdigris, Verdigris campuses is we appreciate you. Sometimes uh, we just need to be reminded here at North Garnett that every week they are setting up and tearing down all in an effort to reach more people in their part of the kingdom, in the southeast uh, Owasso and in the Vertigris, uh, Catoosa, Claremore area. And so they work. You guys get to come in here and just plop down and you're here. Many of them are showing up, setting up, sticking around, tearing down. So can we appreciate them for what they're doing every week, in and out. We love you all. Okay. So uh, we just... Uh, Man, we're excited about what God's doing at both of those uh, campuses. So, hey, uh, last week we launched into a near, new series called Grace is Greater. Uh, hopefully you got your little bracelet last week and been wearing it and uh, had maybe prompted some uh, conversations. If you didn't get one, I think we have some extras at every campus, so I encourage you to get one. But uh, last week we talked about grace is greater than our circumstances, that grace shows up in all of life's circumstances. If we'll just open our eyes to see that God is at work, okay, he's doing a work. Even in the, in the most horrible, hard circumstances, God is there if we'll just open our eyes to see Him. And this week, we're going to be talking about that grace is greater than our mistakes. Anybody made any mistakes in your life? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, anybody make any this morning? Yeah, yeah. I had a conversation already about that. Um, yeah, we, we all fall in that ballpark. Today we're going to be over in Luke chapter 15, a uh, very uh, common uh, story and well-known story of the prodigal son. Here, let, let me just start by just saying this. I want to sin. I'm just going to put it out there. I mean, I, I want to. I, it's just that something inside of me, and you, you know what I'm talking about. There's just something inside of us that just makes us want to do things that go against what God desires for us. We have that struggle. Maybe you've heard that saying that if, if sinning isn't fun, then you're not doing it right. You heard that? <laughs> it might be fun for a little bit, you know. But we just have that. I think that's what Paul was talking about over in Romans chapter 7, whenever he talked about I do what I don't want to do, and I don't do what I do want to do. And he talked about this, this battle that he had in his life as a follower of Jesus, not before he was a follower, but then, at that moment, at that time, he struggles with sin. And we all do. But fortunately, we have a God of grace. Philip Yancey uh, recounted a story of uh, a conference, a uh, British conference of uh, uh, comparative religions where experts in religion have, had come together to discuss uh, one of the topics of discussion at that time. This was years ago. Uh, at that time was uh, how or if Christianity was different than all other religions of the world. And, and so somebody threw out uh, the incarnation, you know, God coming to man uh, to, to earth as a man, and, and uh, but that they debated on that a little bit, and quickly they determined no. There's other religions that have gods who came to earth as humans, and so that that wasn't uh, that 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 didn't fit the bill. That Christianity didn't wasn't different there, and, and somebody else threw out the resurrection, and they, they debated on that. But nope, nope. There was uh, several other religions that that uh, speak about. Uh, death to life, people coming 
back to life. And, and they continued to debate back and forth for some time until another uh, theologian came in the room. Uh, his name was C.S. Lewis. Some of you know who he is. And he came into the room and quickly asked what, the, what everything was going, what was going on and what the debate was about. And they informed him. And he said, oh, that's easy. It's grace. And they began to debate a little bit, but it didn't take them very long until they figured out he was right. No other religion in the world has a God with unconditional love and grace for people, for those that he loves. We are so fortunate and blessed to have a God of grace. Unfortunately, many in our churches today, uh, many followers of Jesus had, have uh, have instead of accepting grace, we've accepted uh, a, a form of behavioral modification, we call it. We've stepped into this new life of, hey, I'm just going to keep trying to get better. I'm just going to try to keep better. If, if I keep trying to get better, then maybe I will get good enough to go to heaven. And some of us, we, we make those remarks. Somebody might ask you, well, you know, how do you you know, how do you think you're going to, why do you think you're going to go to heaven? And, and our response, a lot of times people respond with, well, I, I'm a good person. Well, newsflash, we're not good enough. We'll never get there. But we can, can tend to get on this treadmill of, of trying to behave our way to heaven, and that doesn't get us there. It's only by grace. Brennan Manning says this, God loves us as we are and not as we should be because no one is as they should be. And I'm thankful for that. He loves us just the way we are. And so, again, today we want to open our eyes up to God's grace that covers our sin, that covers our mistakes. Now, we, we can't have a, real, uh, a proper understanding of grace without really having a proper understanding of our sin. I, I think that's probably where we need to start at today. Uh, again, let's just spend a little bit more time uh, looking at ourselves and recognize the sin within. Uh, Kyle Eidelman in his book, Grace is Greater, uh, he says this, Our ability to appreciate grace is in direct correlation to the degree to which we acknowledge our need for it. The more I recognize the ugliness of my sin, the more I can appreciate the beauty of God's grace. We need to take a look at the reality of our sin. Now, I fully recognize some churches today stay away from talking about sin because it might make people feel bad. We're all messed up, <laughs> okay? Let me help you feel bad today, all right? We're all a bunch of sinners, all right? Can I get an amen? <laughs> all right. Yeah, we are. We are sinful people. We're trying. We're, we're following a God of grace, and that inspires us to want to do better, want to stop sinning. But the fact is we keep on sinning. None of us are going to grow out of it. We're sinners. And here's one thing we need to know about sin. Sin is a slave master. Sin is a slave master. All right? Uh, it, it, it can have control over us. We know we can't live up to uh, God's standards. And so uh, 
some want to argue against, um, some in the world want to argue against a God who would set standards so high that no one can live up to them. Right? Some, some, want to say, some want to say that. Well, why would, he, why would he make these rules, have these expectations of nobody can ever live up to them? And the response to that often is, uh, well, the problem is we don't even live up to our own standards. Right? I mean, I mean, you think about things in your life that upset you. You don't like when other people, you know, show pride. You don't like it when other people get angry. Well, let me ask you, have you ever gotten, have been prideful towards others? Have you ever gotten angry at others? <laughs> I, I mean, we have our own set of standards that we don't even live up to those. So <laughs> why are we so upset about a God, an all-knowing God, who set standards that we can't live up to either. Again, Kyle Adelman uh, talking about this. He says, if the biggest sinner you know isn't you, then you don't know yourself very well. <laughs> Let that sink in for a, mi a minute. If the biggest sinner you know isn't you, then you don't know yourself very well. Now, some person, some people could take offense of that real quick. Matter of fact, first time I read that, I go, what, 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 no. I'm not that bad, right? I mean, uh, I mean I, I've gone to prisons before and, and helped those people down there. That, that's where the real sinners are, right? And even having that thought is an indictment on myself. Because that's a sin, looking down on others. Paul, I think, set an example of having this type of mindset over in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15. Uh, here, he's talking to young Timothy and encouraging him, and, and this is what he says to him there. Uh, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Amen? Praise God. He came into the world to save sinners of who, whom I am the foremost, all right? I am chief of sinners, he says elsewhere. Uh, and and some person, you might just rush over that and, and you might think, oh, well, yeah, he's talking about back before he became a Christian, back whenever he was killing Christians. Maybe that's what he's referring to. But it's in the present tense. It's in the present tense. I am the Apostle Paul who wrote much of the New Testament, who we study over and, and, and try to, to follow after many times. He looked at himself and said, I am a sinner, chief of sinners, one of the worst. So maybe we ought to learn from him and recognize we're all sinners. You don't grow out of it. You don't come to senior adulthood or, or spiritual maturity level that, oh, suddenly, oh, I don't sin anymore. Wow, this is awesome. It doesn't happen. We all do it. We all need grace. And that's the next part. Grace brings freedom. Grace brings freedom. Sin is a slave master, but grace brings freedom. Paul addresses this over in Romans chapter 3, verse 23 and following. Very familiar verse there. For all have sinned, all of us, all have sinned, and fall short of the glory of God. God has this desire, we're created in His image, to, 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 to display His glory to the world. But when we sin, we don't. We don't display His glory. So we, we fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift 
through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as the propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance, He had passed over former sins. We're justified by grace. For all have sinned, but we're all who follow Jesus are justified because of this wonderful gift of grace that was accomplished through Jesus Christ. Listen, it's not cheap grace. It's free grace, but it's not cheap grace, really. Uh, that's, that's what he's saying here. Jesus paid a price, a high price, by going to the cross. So not, let's not brush over that. It is not cheap grace. He would go on, Paul would go on over in Romans chapter 5 talking more about this grace, and that's where he talks about if, if sin increases, grace increases all the more. And, and, and so he gives us this idea that, hey, even though we keep on sinning, God keeps on giving grace. Okay? But then he comes back around, he says, so, so shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? I mean, the more I, more I sin, the more grace there is, the more glory God gets. So let's just keep on sinning. And then he says, by no means. No, that's not the way it's supposed to work. You're free from sin. Now you're beginning to live this new life. And then he begins talking about in Romans 6, he talks about baptism. that We die to an old life. We die to that sin. We rise to a new life in him. And then you come to verse 7 there in Romans chapter 6, and he says this, For one who has died has been set free from sin. We've been set free from the slave master. And now, when we sin, when we fall short, we don't have to be burdened down with guilt and shame. And it's only a reminder of God's good grace and His love. And I know this is a scandalous thing because we could be sitting here in our church and be thinking, whoa, whoa, whoa. We can't just get away scot-free for our sin. People who are sinners, they, they need to be held accountable for their sin. We were when Jesus went to the cross. Jesus paints a picture of this over in Luke chapter 15. That's where we're going to go. Again, it's a popular story, the prodigal son. I really think the better name for this story is the gracious father. And today, I just want us to unpack this whole story. Uh, a little bit of context. Jesus has been hanging out with sinners. <laughs> Crazy Jesus. He was always doing that. You know, prostitutes, tax collectors, you know. He, he was just a party guy, all right? I, he really was. People, people loved to be around Jesus. It was crazy. But anyway, he's been hanging out with these sinners, and the religious leaders of that day were looking down on him. They were saying, how could you be hanging out with the, these sinners, these tax collectors and prostitutes? Matter of fact, not only were you hanging out with them, here's the, here's the statement. This man receives sinners, and he eats with them. All right, In that culture, for you to have a meal with somebody, it showed an acceptance, a whole other level of acceptance. And so they're saying, whoa, you've, you've gone way off the deep end here, buddy. And so Jesus, as he often does, teaches a lesson by sharing some stories. And he's masterful at it. And so he begins to share this trilogy of stories. He starts off by talking about the lost sheep. There was a shepherd, he had a sheep, a lot of sheep, and one wandered off, and he leaves the 99 to go find the one. And when he finds the one, 
Oh, he throws a celebration. And there's lots of things in that, several things in that story that in that culture they would be going, really? He left the 99? What? That's kind of weird. And then you go to the next story, and it's the, the story of the lost coin, the woman who loses this very precious coin. She had 10. It was really uh, considered to be a part of her dowry, these 10 very special coins. And so the women in the crowd, they're relating to the story. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. If I lost one of my, my dowry coins, I'd, oh, I would tear everything apart until I found that. And so she looks and looks and finally finds it. And what does she do? She throws a party. And then he comes to this story of this lost son. And again, we tend to focus on the one lost son, but really I think there's two lost sons. Let's, let's jump into here. And this, this story starts with a request. Look at uh, Luke chapter 15, starting in verse 11. It says this, And he said, There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he, the father, divided his property between them. Now, uh, this would be a very shocking thing, again, that culture, uh, that this son would come to his father and want his inheritance because it would be interpreted that he was basically looking at his dad and said, Dad, I really wish you were already dead. <laughs> You'd love to hear that from your kids, right? You know? But that, that's what he's saying. Dad, I really wish you were already dead because I really would like to get my inheritance right now so that I can go on and live my life the way that I want to. Now, so in that culture, when all these people are listening to Jesus tell the stories, they're thinking, oh, this kid's going to get it. I mean, the next thing that's probably going to happen is this dad's going to slap him up the side of the face. That's what would be recommended or, or uh, appropriate. Slap him up the side of the face and could even as go as far to take him to the elders of the city and have him stoned to death. <laughs> this is going to get good, right? That's not exactly what happens. What happens, as we read, the, the father takes the property, divides it up, and gives the son, this youngest son, his portion, and sends him off. What? Five times through this story, the father does something that is culturally not acceptable. This is the first one. He doesn't punish the son? No. No, he gives the son a choice. He lets him choose what he wants to do. There's freedom. I guess you could call that grace. And so the boy takes his money. He goes, spends his money. We really don't know how he spent the money. We know he spent it on uh, unwisely. Uh, it's the older brother later that comes along and says, Dad, he spent it all on prostitutes. Well, we don't know that. That's the older brother. You know how some older brothers can be. I'm a younger brother. I get it. Um, but whatever he did, that may have happened, but he, he wasted the money. Famine comes on the land where he's at. He doesn't have anything, to, you know, any money left. He finds himself working for a Gentile farmer feeding pigs. Now he has turned his back not only on the law, but on his heritage as he's working for a Gentile with pigs. And he longs to eat the pig food. He's that hungry. Some speculate that he wasn't even getting paid for it there. Maybe they were just giving him a place to live but no food, no money. And so he finally, finally in this moment, his eyes are open, and we have the return. Look at verse 17. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? When he came to himself, you ever came to yourself? Ever been in moments in life where it's like, oh, what am I doing? 
He has that moment. Now, many want to interpret this, that this is the point at which he comes to repentance, and he wants to change his life. I'm not so sure that's what's happening here. It's possible that that's happening, but I think probably this could be better understood that this is just where he reached a moment of anguish, recognizing how far he had fallen. Look at verse 18 and 19 with me. It says this, I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. He begins to devise a plan is what he's doing here. And so his plan is, I'm going to go to dad, and I'm going to try to earn my way back into the family. I'm going to try to get a job with him. Maybe he'll give me a job, and I can begin to earn this money back so I can, I can, I can, I can regain my standing in my family and regain my standing in my village because what he has done has not only shamed his father, but he has shamed his entire village and what he has done. And so he is hoping that through his plan, this might take place. Matter of fact, the phrase there where it says, I have sinned against heaven and before you, interesting thing, this is the same phrase that Pharaoh used after the plague of darkness when he brought Moses in, and he says those words, I've sinned against heaven and before you. And Pharaoh was not repentant. Pharaoh was only striving to manipulate Moses to get rid of the plagues. And maybe Jesus is trying to make a point here with the religious leaders that would know what that means. Whatever the case, the young man goes back, look at verse 20, and he arose and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. Everybody loves this part of the story. Our running God, he runs to him. And again, this would be a moment culturally that was unacceptable because for a, a grown man to, to run in public was, was shameful. But that's what the dad does. He, he, he runs to his lost son. As he sees him from a long distance off, he goes to him. That's grace. And not only does he run to him, hug him, embrace him, and kiss him. Some believe this, matter, just a little side note, that the village who had been shamed by him, the soon as they would have seen the young man, their response would be getting, stoning, killing. So the father was waiting, and he ran to him, and he got there first to show that he still had the love of his father, and he didn't need to be killed. Wow, that'll preach. That's why I'm preaching it. (laughs) Anyway, the next part, the party. Oh, he doesn't stop at just embracing him and running to him. He throws a party. Look at verse 21. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Just like he rehearsed, man, boom, he's got it. Probably been saying it all the way from the pig pen to, to the town. But the father cuts him off, verse 22, but the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, put the ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate, for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. 
There is some beautiful imagery that's given here. The robe, most likely, he's talking about the, the covering of uh, his sin. Let's cover him up. Let's put this robe on him. And he is speaking to covering up his mistakes and sin. Maybe he's referring back over to Zechariah chapter 3, verse 4, where you had the high priest, Joshua, who's uh, come uh, uh, being... Uh, instated and he comes and he's in filthy rags and it says there in verse 4 and the angel said to those who were standing before him Joshua remove the filthy garments from him and to him he said behold I have taken your iniquity away from you and I will clothe you with pure vestments maybe he's referring to that I'm going to I'm going to I'm, I'm purifying you I'm I'm going to cover up the sin I'm going to cover up the shame it's gone he says, put a ring on his finger. This would speak to the authority as he, he has the signet ring of his father. It's kind of like dad giving him the credit card. Wherever he goes, he's, he's got that authority. He's got that credit to him as he takes that ring. Put sandals on his feet. What's he talking about there? I think that he's saying, he's, you're a part of the family. It was only the servants who went barefoot. Family members wore sandals. You have a seat at the table. So the father throws this party. He, he gives him these things. He throws a party. This is grace. And I would speculate that it is somewhere in this part that the young man comes to repentance. I say that because of what Paul says over in Romans chapter 2, verse 4. Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. I, again, speculation here. We really don't know where he came to repentance, but it could have been here where he sees his father and sees his love, sees his compassion, and he is only propelled to repentance, to come back. He was just wanting a job only I can get a job. But his father brings him back into the family. Now the story doesn't end there. It's after this that we are introduced to the older brother, um, which is a very obvious parallel to the religious leaders that have really brought up the whole issue in the first place. And so the older brother here in the story, he's coming back from working outside out in the fields. He hears the commotion, the party going on. He finds a young servant there and says, what's going on? And here's what the servant says, verse 27. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf. That was a big deal, all right? This means this is a special party. Because he has received him back safe and sound, he has received him back. There was no family meeting. There was no asking the older brother his opinion. Well, should we let this, your younger brother come back after all that he's done? Nothing like that. The father has just received him back. So the, young, the older brother is furious. And first off, the, the father is shamed by the young son, by his request and what he did. And now he is being shamed by the older son. 
Listen to this, verse 28. Uh, But he was angry, and he he refused to go in. He wouldn't go into the party. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I have disobeyed, I have, have, uh, and I never disobeyed your command, yet you you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. Do you hear the anger? Number one, what would be shaming is that this older son would not even go into the party. Customarily, whenever a party is thrown, the oldest son would almost act as a host, and he won't even come inside. On top of that, the father has to come out to him. Oh, now that's shaming. But he does. The father comes out to him, hears him out, and you hear everything that he has to say. It really seems like the older brother is not as upset with the younger brother, his, his, his brother, as he is with his dad. Dad, look at all I've done. I, 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 me, 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 by the way. Why, why haven't I ever got a party? Listen to how the dad responds, verse 31, 32. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this, your brother, he's pointing that out, your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. He's trying to help this older brother get his mind around what has happened here. Son, don't you get it? Your brother His life has changed. He's back. Now, what's interesting here is that Jesus doesn't end the story. That's where it cuts off. And it would be really cool to end the story. We can just kind of put our own ending on there, and we could say, all right, maybe, maybe this would happen. And the older brother hears what his father has to say, and he himself comes to himself. And realizes, yes, Father, I get it. This is so wonderful. Let's go to the party. That'd be awesome. But that's not what happens. Matter of fact, there is an ending to the story. It would go more like this. And the older brother, in his anger, picked up a piece of wood and beat his father to death. Because somebody had to restore dignity to our family and to our people. All his father kept bringing on them was shame. Isn't that what the Pharisees did? They looked at Jesus who just kept lavishing grace on others and kept shaming them as a religious leader until they could not take it anymore. And then they got some pieces of wood and they nailed him to it because he was shameful. And somebody had to restore dignity to our people. And they killed him on a cross. Now what they intended to be the worst of things, God made the best of things. And it's through that death on the cross that we have grace.
He took our sin. He took our guilt. He took our shame. And grace won. Again, out of the book, I love this quote. The truth is, I am worse than I ever wanted to admit. But God's grace is greater than I ever could have imagined. Isn't that true? Earlier this year, there was a little story about a girl by the name of uh, Maddie Runkles. Uh, she made the news because as a pregnant teenager going to a Christian, uh, Christian school, uh, she was not permitted to walk in her graduation. The school wanted to use her as an example to others, uh, and right or wrong, they, they had rules, and she signed those rules, that, you know, no sexual promiscuity and, and a long list of other things, and obviously she had broken the rules, and so they wanted to make an example out of her by not letting her walk in her graduation. And I was reading an article, uh, Fox News covered, and, and the young lady who were, was covering the article, her name was Angel Hatfield, and she sympathized with Maddie because her, uh, herself had the same thing happen to her. Not in that didn't get to walk in graduation, but became pregnant as a teenager. And she recounts whenever she had to go to her dad, who was a minister, and tell him, and she said the obvious response at first was disappointment as he dropped his head. And he shared that with her. But then her dad said this. He said, it won't be easy, and there will be struggles and a hard path ahead of you, but I love you. And now I figure I have been given more to love. And she described how she could not believe what she just heard and she described that before she could even respond to what her father said that he got up came across the room and gave her a big bear hug and just said it's all going to be okay she says this grace swept over me and unleashed its power connecting both with my head and my heart shame didn't teach me Grace did. And I didn't learn grace by hearing about it, but by being the recipient of it. She goes on. She says, Maddie's life may be far more difficult than her classmates who will wait and do things in God's proper time and order, but letting them walk together could have been a God-honoring moment that communicated grace. Not license to sin and a reminder uh, that grace doesn't glorify sin, it simply covers it and glorifies God. We know, love, serve, and share a God of wonderful grace. Uh, today, we just want to open our eyes up again to just recognizing how awesome that grace is. Because today... If you're living in guilt and shame from the past, you continue to beat yourself up over things, that grace is available to you because grace is greater than my guilt and shame. Did you hear that? Grace is greater than my guilt and shame. And so I want to encourage you to do something. Everybody should have got a bullet on the way in, a program on the way in. There's, there's a couple big blank spots on there. 
here's what I want to encourage you to do. Maybe you do it before you leave today. Maybe you go home and you do this in, in a quiet place by yourself. But I just want you to write down that word grace. And then with that greater symbol that you see in our graphic. And then you write down next to that what you need to write down next to that. Grace is greater than what in your life? My past sin, my struggle with lust, my struggle with pornography, my struggle with my coworkers. Grace is greater than my pride. Grace is greater than my adultery. Grace is greater than... You, you feel it. I don't know what it is. Grace is greater than my divorce. Grace is greater than... You fill in whatever it is that Satan, the slave master, keeps trying to, to bring you down with. You write it down and say, no, grace is greater. And allow his grace to wash over you. Listen, grace can show up in all of life's circumstances, wherever you are. And I believe for some of you today, grace is showing up right now. Father in heaven, God, we pray that you will speak into this moment, that you'll speak into our hearts, that God, we will recognize just how incredible your grace is. <laughs> this scandalous grace that that looks at us, looks at all people in their sin and says that your love is available to them, your forgiveness is available to them. God, sometimes it's just hard for us to get our head around that. So God, may today you open our eyes up to just how great your grace is. That it is greater than all of our sins, all of our mistakes, all of our guilt, all of our shame that we keep carrying around with us. God, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.